Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast from the Royal Aeronautical Society. My name is Rosa Zuzi and I look after the careers and skills activities at the Society, um, supporting a range of programmes to help inspire young people into the industry and provide support to those who are already in it. Um, today I'm delighted to welcome Carissa Khan um, to one of our first podcasts from the careers team. Uh, Carissa is the innovation lead for the UK Future Flight Programme um, and is also a RAS council member and chair of our local Cheltenham branch and she's going to talk to us today a bit about the future of aerospace um, and some of the challenges that we face. So thank you so much Carissa for joining us. Thank you Roz, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much. Right. So um, to get started, um, your role, it sounds uh, very exciting, you know, sort of leading innovation um, and obviously the Future Flight Programme. Um, so what do you think then are the biggest te technological challenges that and opportunities that we face in aerospace at the moment? Leading innovation for future flights is very exciting. We are on the brink of the third aviation revolution. And in the fourth industrial revolution, which presents many technological opportunities for aerospace, we know that the first aviation revolution got us airborne with the Wright brothers. The second was the advent of the jet age that enabled us to fly intercontinentally. And now we're entering the third, where we are open, opening up the skies to new classes of air vehicles with novel technologies. The fourth industrial revolution has been unlocking emerging and disruptive technologies with breakthroughs in fields such as artificial intelligence, robotics, autonomy, digital and energy storage. The biggest technological opportunities for aerospace include taking advantage of these breakthroughs to develop safer, quieter, greener and more efficient modes of air transport. And this includes new aircraft designs with electric, hydrogen or hybrid propulsion that is better for the environment. It will include advanced air mobility vehicles with electric vertical takeoff and landing capabilities that can operate it from Versaports in urban and rural environments. These can be piloted, remotely piloted or fully autonomous vehicles capable of operating in harsh environments and, and future flight and future travel will even include being able to book one of these electric vehicles as an air taxi on an app to get you faster to your destination. So it's a very exciting time for aerospace. Um, electric air mobility vehicles can also be used for emergency mm. services to rush someone to a hospital in a heavily congested city or in a remote area. Um, and also future air transport will also include the use of drones for more readily um, deliver, delivery of goods and medical supplies in hard to reach areas. So there's a lot, a lot of technological opportunities for aerospace that we can take advantage of. We can revolutionize how we fly, how we deliver goods, how we provide services. Um, so I think it's a very exciting era and we get to shape future flights in a way that will improve our lives whilst protecting the environment. Um, it can provide us with great, greater connectivity, flexibility and accessibility. But in order to achieve this green revolution, we need to pick up pace with investment in our aerospace and aviation sectors. And the only way to a green revolution in aerospace and aviation is with continued investment. 
Absolutely. Um, it's amazing, actually, when you think of all the things that are happening right now that a lot of people won't be aware of, you know, like you say, the personal um, sort of travel opportunities through urban air mobility, um, obviously the impact of aviation and, um, you know, helping people as well, you know, um, and sort of humanitarian efforts. I think a lot of people, you know, are not always aware of that as well. But as you say, the challenges ahead, they do require investment for sure. Um, why would you say that, you know, given that we're obviously uh, now in a really, you know, big sort of pandemic situation, um, which has had a, a big impact on air travel um, throughout the world. Um, so we've seen recently a, a very large sort of drop off in passenger numbers over the last sort of few months, sadly. Um, and it feels as if the recovery is still some way off. So is it still important to invest in the new technologies now? Um, does that or does that make a difference, do you think? Yes, absolutely. It's important to keep investing in these technologies because technological advancements are incremental, especially in aerospace. We know that it takes years to move through our technology readiness levels. Research, design, development, manufacturing, testing, demonstration, certification and production takes time. And this is for traditional aerospace. It is, it is even more so when we are developing new types of aircraft, such as electric and autonomous advanced air mobility vehicles, where standards and regulations still need to be developed. Pre-COVID, the UK upheld its ambitions to remain at the forefront of aerospace, being number one in Europe and second in the world. It set out to position itself as a world leader in this third aviation revolution. Now, we can't stop the clock and wait for recovery. We must continue to invest and innovate in order to stay ahead of the game and also to remain globally competitive. Absolutely. And I think it's, as you say, it's interesting to remember how long it does take to take new technology to certification as well um, in yeah. this very safety focused industry. Um, mm -hmm. So thank you so much for that. You know, it's hopefully inspired a lot of people that were thinking, what is the future and should I be involved? I know that I definitely want to stay involved in aerospace. Um, so, Carissa, could you tell me a bit more about your role with the Royal Aeronautical Society as well and, and how you got involved um, and became one of our um, very active members? Yes, I am a very active member. I am a member of Council, which is the Society's top consultative and advisory board. I'm a member of the Linnet Society Board, which is responsible for the Society's Linnet output and providing strategic direction to the specialist groups, journals, publications and the National Aerospace Library. I'm also a member of the Diversity and Inclusion Group which is responsible for the development and implementation of the society's diversity and inclusion strategy. And we aim to increase the diversity of our membership and the aerospace and aviation community. As you've mentioned, I also chair the Gloucester Cheltenham branch, which is a vibrant branch made up of almost 400 members. It is one of the oldest branches that was first chaired by Henry Folland, who was the chief designer of the Gloucester Aircraft Company. And I became the first woman to hold the position of chair since the branch was established in 1930. I joined the society when I was a student at university. Um, this Royal Aeronautical Society is the world's oldest professional body and the only professional body dedicated to the entire aerospace and aviation community. And it was an honor to be part of it. So I joined the society during my first year at university. I decided to run for council in 2016 
Um, and I did it because I thought the Council of the Society must represent its membership. And I didn't feel particularly represented as a young woman in aerospace and as a member from a minority ethnic background. When I was elected in 2016, I was the youngest council member and one of maybe less than five women and one of maybe two members from the BIM community on council. But since then, the society has set up its diversity and inclusion working group, and we've made a lot of progress. Today, we have a more diverse council. And this year, we were even awarded the best professional engineering institution by Equal Engineers. So there's a lot to do, and we've done a lot, but we need to continue driving positive change. Absolutely. And it's so um, exciting to see people like yourself coming through, I think, and helping to drive that change as well. Um, and obviously, you highlighted the fact that you are, you know, from um, sort of two underrepresented groups, I suppose, in terms of our industry, obviously, gender, we still see very few women, and um, particularly in aeronautical engineering roles. Um, and again, very or, or less people from same communities as well. Um, so what yeah. was it that made you become an aerospace engineer? What was your sort of motivation, Carissa? Oh, the Concord. The Concord was my inspiration. As a young girl growing up on a small island in the Caribbean, I was intrigued by this groundbreaking supersonic marvel crossing the skies. It really drew me in. I was fascinated by it. I wanted to understand how it worked, how it can fly faster than the speed of sound. I wanted to be part of this world. It was pioneering. It was pushing technological boundaries. And growing up in the Caribbean, where there isn't an aerospace industry, I didn't have air shows, career fairs or role models in aerospace to inspire me in this field. But I had the Concorde flying above me. It flew between a fine line of what was possible and impossible at that time. It was absolutely fascinating and exciting. It was at the forefront of innovation and I wanted to be part of this. So Concorde was my inspiration, an inspiration that led to aspiration to become an aerospace engineer. And because I'm just saying it's so funny because I absolutely loved Concorde as well. It was just one of those things <laughs> that I just took your breath away. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And because there wasn't an aerospace sector there and there isn't an aerospace sector there it meant that I had to make a life-changing decision at a very young age as a teenager and I wanted to pursue my dream and I knew that if I wanted to do this if I wanted to become an aerospace engineer it would mean having to leave my family my friends my home and accept that I wouldn't return to live there throughout my career so I had to make a very difficult permanent decision at a young age it was it's a sweet, but I was very determined and excited to pursue my career in a very exciting field. And I had to take the chance of a lifetime and pursue it. And it was the best decision I've ever made. And now we even see where there's a resurgence of supersonic flight. We are seeing the development of new types of aircraft for future flight. We are on the brink of something that is so different, so new. It requires that same pioneering spirit that built the Concorde. We are once again in this era of aerospace where we are pushing technological boundaries and we are at the forefront of innovation. But this time, I'm not just witnessing it from afar as I once did as a young girl. I'm an integral part of this revolution in aviation. And also with the same fascination and excitement. Um, and it's really great to know that my dream career is still very much alive and I can 
I continue to be driven by the same passion that led me to first become an aerospace engineer. And the next generation of aerospace professionals get to be part of this exciting revolution. And they will have the opportunity to shape the future of flight and to make a real difference in this world. Oh, I, I think you just, just summed it up perfectly, you know, and as you say, it's um, funny how we're seeing it again, like that supersonic flight and some of these unbelievable technologies to inspire, you know, and, and to change, you know, the next generation of aircraft as well. Um, so you obviously made a big, you know, it was a big step for you um, having to leave your family, but, you know, you obviously um, have really enjoyed your career. So what would you say have been the most positive aspects of your career to date? Oh, there's been many positive aspects of my career choice. As a technical expert, I'm currently leading innovation for the development of our future aviation system, transforming the way we travel to improve our lives and protect our planet. And there have been specific points in history that have changed aviation as we know it. Like I've said, the first flight of the Wright brothers, um, the development of the jet, in, of the jet engine, and now, I'm at the forefront of where we, we, we will change aviation as we know it again. It's exciting to be part of this revolution that will make aviation history. Another highlight for me as an aerospace engineer is being able to design world's leading advanced aerospace systems for a wide range of military, commercial and business jets like I've done in previous roles. And these include the Bombardier Global 7500 business jet, the Airbus family of commercial jets, the A320, A321, A330 and A350 aircraft, and the Boeing 787 Dreamliner. I've also worked on legacy programs like the Tornado and Eurofighter jets. And I really enjoyed working on so many different aircrafts and being able to develop and improve the design of complex systems on board. And it's incredibly rewarding watching your work take to the skies or even flying on board an aircraft you've worked on. It feels like every time an aircraft flies that you've worked on, it carries a part of you. And oh, I would say... <laughs> quite emotional, yeah. You know, <laughs> people forget that aspect of engineering, I think, isn't it? The emotional aspect of it. Yes, yes, and there's there's nothing more rewarding than watching an aircraft that you've worked on take to the skies for the first time on that first flight where it's nail-biting and exciting and you're on the edge of your, your seat and you want everything to go as planned. And yes, absolutely, it's a very exciting field to be in. And honestly, another highlight of my career is being able to leave the world's oldest and only professional body dedicated to aerospace and aviation as a member of council of the Royal Aeronautical Society. You know, being able to play a leading role in influencing opinion on complex aerospace matters and work with decision makers to ensure that we are maximizing the value of aerospace to so the economy and society is very fulfilling. Um, I've also had the opportunity in my early career to work alongside leaders in government and industry as part of the Aerospace Growth Partnership and shape yeah, the industrial strategy for the UK aerospace sector. So that has been an incredible opportunity and a very exciting um, uh, as a partnership to be to to be part of another another positive aspect for my career 
has been being able to drive positive change by championing diversity in the aerospace, aviation and defence sectors. I have been a founding signatory of the Women in Aviation and Aerospace Charter, as well as the Women in Defence Charter on behalf of a world's leading international high technology group operating in these sectors. So being able to be uh, an integral part of driving positive change for diversity and inclusion has been another uh, highlight in my career. But I would say the most positive aspect of my career choice to date has been the opportunity to inspire and give young girls around the world hope of achieving their dreams. And that includes being featured as a STEM Wonder Woman at the annual Cheltenham Science Festival and engaging with thousands of young girls as part of a See Her, Be Her campaign to break stereotypes and encourage young girls to pursue careers in STEM, such as aerospace engineering. And also an incredible honour for me has been earlier this year to commemorate International Women's Day, being featured with the first female president of my home country as part of an art exhibition at the Wilson Art Gallery and Museum here in the UK. And this art exhibition, um, the collection was rendered with paint and gold leaf and it glanced into the lives of extraordinary women who represent positive change in their fields. It highlighted the achievements of inspiring women who are reshaping the present for a better future. I pay tribute to the multi-dimensional efforts and beauty of women who are empowering others. So it's very rewarding to be able to inspire others. And the most positive aspect of my career is being able to make a difference in this way. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, that's an amazing summary. And I think the fact that, as you say, you've had that feeling of you know elation when you see something take to the skies that you've designed you know from as you say supporting the strategy and the future development of the industry um right through to being able to represent you know um as you say sort of challenge stereotypes represent you know a woman in a, in a technical role you know and help inspire girls and and it's great to see that you know people are are also engaging with you as well carissa and reaching out into the sort of engineering industry for, for role models as well you know within the arts industry i think that's really interesting and really positive yes. as well and it will hopefully reach a wider audience as well um so i mean it's obviously very very positive for you your, your career to date and um, but of course you've touched upon you know some of the issues about underrepresentation. um what what would you say are some of the challenges that we do face at the moment for for you know for both aerospace and the sort of wide aviation sector well, I've had to overcome many challenges, um, including intersectional discrimination in a previous role. I experienced direct and indirect discrimination based on my gender, age, race and disability, as well as bullying and harassment in the workplace. You would think these things no longer exist, but unfortunately, it still happens even in prominent aerospace companies. And it's both shocking and distressing to be at the centre of it. The most difficult part for me was not having a support network or colleagues with a similar background in age, gender or race that I can confide in or turn to for support or solidarity. Also working far away from your family and friends means you don't have your support network close to you. Unfortunately, this organisation did not have a diverse workforce and did not encourage an inclusive culture 
and wasn't equipped to deal with such issues, which are very important. And I'm sure other organizations may, be, may have similar issues as well. As a young woman of color with a disability working in a male-dominated field, I recognize that I couldn't thrive in this environment. And since then, I met others who have had similar experiences in their work workplace. You would think that we have made a lot of progress and these things don't happen, but it's shocking how much they still happen. And even though these challenges occurred in the past, the negative effects on your self-confidence, self-esteem, health and well-being are carried with you throughout your career. And if you are from an underrepresented group and experience this outside of the workplace, there is spillover into your working life and vice versa, experiencing it in your workplace, there's spillover into your personal life. Um, it's very difficult to compartmentalize discrimination and aggressions we face and expect to be on the same level of playing field as others who don't. Another challenge of working in an environment that lacks diversity and inclusivity is dealing with a lack of representation in leadership roles. So when you look around you and you're the only one in the room, whether that's a young person, a woman, or a person of color there, it sends a subliminal message that you don't belong there. There was an article in Forbes last year which highlighted how imposter syndrome hits underrepresented identities harder and when employees do not see people who look like them or who hold their same identities in the workplace, that feeling of not fitting in that is correlated with imposter syndrome is magnified. So you can see that there is a direct correlation between the identities that feel imposter syndrome the most acutely and those that experience the most microaggressions in day-to-day -day life that target marginalized groups. And this makes sense because a lot of microaggressions hit at the same doubts and feelings of self-worth that drive imposter syndrome. So yes, there are many challenges that I have faced and I'm sure many others have faced in the aerospace industry, um, especially mm. from underrepresented groups. And this reflects negatively on the industry. Some have left the industry altogether, but I'm focused on driving change and driving positive change. And I strongly believe that the aerospace industry needs to ensure it is putting in place the right policies, the right tools and support for a diverse and inclusive workforce, or else it's going to miss out on the talent pool that is required to drive it forward. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, you've raised some, you know, serious issues, I think, Carissa, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing what you've achieved, because I think if, um, you know, I'd experienced some of those things in my work, I would have also um, really struggled. So I think the fact you've had to overcome those, it's, um, it's obviously, you know, great that you still feel very positive about your career and you've achieved so many things, but it isn't nice to hear, you know, some of the experiences that you've been through. Um, and I think you've really touched upon some of the, the questions that people raise, um, especially at the moment, as you say, the society is doing a lot around DNI. Um, and sometimes people will ask us, what, what, why, why do we need to do these things? Um, why, is, why are so many aerospace organisations now very much focused on diversity inclusion um, and the sort of improving the gender balance and having greater representation? I think you've really covered some of that in terms of, you know, having to understand you know how to avoid you know um people being able to experience microaggressions in the workplace um but what what do you think is important for 
you know, for aerospace organisations to consider, you know, and why is it so important to have, you know, better representation given the experiences that you've been through? I think it's important to have better representation um, because there is a business case for diversity and inclusion and it's stronger than ever. The latest mm -hmm. report from McKinsey investigating the business case for diversity that was published earlier this year shows that not only is this business case robust, but furthermore, the relationship between mm -hmm. diversity on executive teams and the likelihood of financial outperformance has strengthened over time. And these findings come from their largest data set so far. So looking at 15 countries and more than a thousand large companies, and we see that the most diverse companies are now more likely than ever to outperform less diverse peers on profitability. And this analysis done by McKinsey found that companies in the top quartile for gender diversity on executive teams were 25% more likely to have above average profitability than companies in the lowest in the fourth quartile. It also found that the greater the representation, the higher the likelihood of outperformance. And we see that companies with more than 30% women executives were more likely to outperform companies where this percentage was less. Similarly, the business case findings for the case of ethnic and cultural diversity is very difficult to ignore. The top quartile companies outperforms those in the fourth one by 36% in profitability. So it's very interesting. And an even more interesting note is the likelihood of outperformance is higher for diversity and ethnicity than for gender, but from a societal angle, both are equally important. And as an innovation leader in the aerospace and aviation sectors, I believe these factors are important because aerospace and aviation are evolving and we need to ensure that we have sustainable sectors. We are entering a new revolution in aviation. We need to develop new technologies to meet increasing environmental challenges. The high value skills we require now and in the future to rebuild and sustain our evolving aerospace and aviation sectors are rapidly changing. We are developing new types of aircraft, different from anything we've ever seen in the skies before. And we are creating new aviation systems that are state of the art to enable this. So we need the best of the best. We need the best thinkers the best innovators, the best disruptors. We need diverse thinking, different approaches, different mindsets, diverse skills. And we're not going to get that if we don't open up our talent pool to ensure that we are drawing from the best. You know, this isn't about tokenism. This is about bringing the best to the table and being diverse and inclusive to ensure that we don't miss out on the best talent and ensuring we have diverse skill sets so that we are ready to tackle these industry challenges and take advantage of the technological opportunities. So yes, these are all very important factors, not just for leadership and technology roles, but all across um, organizations, for, across all levels of organizations. Just wanted to say, yeah, I don't think anyone could have put that better, Carissa. Um, and in terms of, you know, understanding how to achieve, you know, a more diverse 
sort of um, diversity of thought in the workplace and you know innovation and ideas through more diverse teams I think that's going to be hopefully something that really inspire aerospace organizations to to continue this this journey um, yes. for a more inclusive workforce I think it's so so important um, we obviously at the society we've been as you say doing a lot of work in this area um, and of course as well as COVID this year we've seen other um, um, issues arise such as the Black Lives Matter campaign um, and you know we actually put together an action plan um, as a society to do better um, and had some interesting responses to that so I was wondering um, you know as, as a woman of colour how do you feel about um, these types of responses um, such as the action plan um, is it something that we should be doing as an organisation in your view? Absolutely. It's something that all organizations should be doing, developing an action plan to ensure that we have an inclusive and diverse workforce. You know, the Black Lives Matter statement from the Royal Aeronautical Society was meaningful to me, especially as a member of the society from the BIM community, like you said. I serve the society on every level from branch level to board level, across committees and straight up to the governing level of council. It meant a lot to me personally to see the professional institution I stand by stand in solidarity with members of the black community because we are part of its membership base and part of the aerospace community that it serves. And Black Lives Matter does not undermine the lives of any other demographic. Black lives no. have not been treated as equal to others throughout history. And unfortunately, as we have seen, even up until today, we have come so far to be this far behind inequality. The yeah. counter rhetoric, you know, all lives matter can only be valid when this is inclusive of black lives, when the black community no longer needs to point out what is blatantly obvious that black lives matter too, and should be treated as such. The Black Lives Matter statement really showed the society's firm stance against racism, social injustice and inequality. It showed the society's zero tolerance for this. It outlined the society's action plan to better understand the experience of black people in our sectors and create safe spaces for open and honest dialogue. It highlighted the plans to the plans to review and expand our processes for reporting racism and discrimination and put in place actions required to effectively address this. It showed its commitment to develop its policies, procedures and activities to make them more inclusive with an aim to eliminate hidden institutional or systemic bias across the society's wider networks. And as a member of the BIM community, I wholeheartedly welcome this statement. And as a member of the council, I fully endorse it. Well, thank you, Carissa. And um, I think, you know, having that endorsement from you and that support and understanding of, as you say, the, the diversity of the society's membership, you know, and having, you know, measures in place to do more. Um, I think that will help everybody moving forward as well, understand, you know, what we can do as, a, as an institution as well. 
Um, you, you may be aware as well, we did um, a, a webinar recently, a sort of panel session, um, and we had uh, people logging into that live at the time, um, and we asked a question to the audience um, as to whether they'd experienced racism in the workplace or a professional setting, and obviously you've described some of your own personal experiences. Um, sadly, again, with the audience response, um, 40% um, did um, say they had experienced some form of racism as well um which was you know quite unsettling really but and um, what what's your view on this particular statistic it might be shocking to learn about the direct and indirect discrimination members of the black community face in the workplace even in advanced high technology sectors like aerospace and perhaps people haven't experienced it or witnessed it and therefore believe it does not exist but it does happen it is unacceptable and it needs to change. The only acceptable statistic for racism is 0%. But change comes from first acknowledging there is a problem. And the Black Lives Matter movement has helped the Black community speak up about their experiences. And this has shed light on this grave issue that needs to be addressed. I'm sure many did not feel comfortable bringing these issues to light before. Racism may have seemed taboo to talk about and perhaps a topic that is too sensitive to talk about. And as a black person just trying to fit in, you do not want to draw any negative attention to yourself and be that person who has a problem that others may not understand or may dismiss. It's very similar to the Me Too movement that gave women the courage to finally speak up about harassment in the workplace. So now we're having these honest, open conversations that can lead to positive change. And this is amplified by the society's Black Lives Matter statement, which shows its commitment to proactively listen, learn and address inequality that affects its members and members of the aerospace community. Yes, I think, as you say, it's um, it's it's um, it's an uncomfortable subject for many people, and they may not have realised before that this has been happening. But I think highlighting um, the the scope is hopefully going to help us make drive that change. And as you say, get to the only acceptable statistic of zero percent. That would definitely be the target there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and of course, you've touched upon some of the other uh, forms of discrimination that you've experienced, um, you know, at a personal level. Um, you've mentioned harassment, um, obviously having a disability as well. Do you believe there are other forms of discrimination that we should be aware of within the aerospace sector? Um, again, from your own experience and that of some of your, your colleagues? Yes, so there are other forms of discrimination that we should be aware of in aerospace, including, like you said, discrimination based on disability and even maternity and other protected characteristics. We need to actively work on addressing these. For example, aerospace companies still do not have, some aerospace companies still do not have wheelchair access to their offices, which means wheelchair users cannot apply for jobs there. And it, and is excluded from being part of the workforce and they may have the skills that the business needs so we should all be aware of the different forms of discrimination that exists in in aerospace we should also be aware of intersectional discrimination which takes place on the basis of several personal personal grounds or a combination of characteristics 
Um, and this is why the Royal Aeronautical Society has set up its diversity and inclusion working group to advise on and integrate diversity and inclusion within the society in key areas. And this is a really positive step. You know, it's a, it advises and integrates uh, diversity and inclusion in areas including governance, leadership, membership, professional registration, education, training, outreach, and also engagement. Um, it advises society on challenges facing underrepresented groups in aviation and aerospace and proposes policy statements and guidelines in areas of concern. So this way it ensures that the society is promoting aerospace and aviation through its activities and making sure that we are reaching underrepresented groups, including those from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. So we've got a lot of outreach um, activities that we do uh, to address this. So, for example, the Cool Aeronautics Outreach Program for primary schools uh, that introduces children to the fascinating world of aerospace engineering and, and space is a crucial part of the society's efforts to promote aerospace and aviation to the next generation. And it ensures that students from all backgrounds are being reached and from different parts of the community. The Falcon Initiative as well, a funded STEM program for teenagers between 13 to 18 year, years old um, to build a fully functional flight simulator. This covers a broad cross section of young people, including girls and students with disabilities and underrepresented groups, you know, just demonstrating that aviation is available to all parts of the community. And this is really, really important. Absolutely. Yeah, we're really looking forward to the Falcon, you know, and we're hoping that it will also help think more about inclusive engineering design as well, you know, and how we can, you know, incorporate some of the ideas that hopefully will come from the young people getting involved, you know, that could actually be used maybe in the wider aerospace industry as well. So I think that's going to be hopefully a really exciting way to both inspire young people and hopefully influence some future um, uh, or more inclusive um, ways of designing aircraft as well yes. so we're really looking forward to that <laughs> um yes. so again you've um you've touched a bit upon obviously your you know the, the sort of leadership role of the society um what what would you say that um for an employer to actually um in practice have a more diverse inclusive workforce what steps should they be taking um the employers within our sector is it enough just to do that outreach piece or do you feel there is more to that they need to be thinking about? I think organisations need to take a systematic approach and take bold action to implement diversity and inclusion measures and to ensure a visible representation of diverse talent. This is very important. Organisations need to promote and encourage a diverse and inclusive culture where employees can feel welcomed. They should educate employees on what microaggressions are and offer strategies on how to avoid them. You know, using training and storytelling can be can be useful to break down biases for employees and in work cultures. Organizations should actively foster a culture where people feel safe speaking up about their experiences. There needs to be safe and confidential reporting mechanisms and policies that drive action to resolve these issues so employees feel confident that they are being heard. Staff should be properly trained to deal with these sensitive issues. 
I really think that employers should strive to increase diverse representation at all levels of the company, from recruiting and hiring practices to equal career opportunities and promotions. It doesn't stop by just ticking a box in that you have recruited so many members from an underrepresented group, for example. It continues throughout the career and that continues um, uh, in the organization, that needs to continue in the organization during the, the career of, of the workforce. Leaders need to take responsibility, leaders need to be trained and also be made accountable for creating and advancing a diverse and inclusive working environment and fostering a sense of community and belonging. I was very pleased to join an organization that has published a comprehensive equality, diversity and inclusion strategy, which really showed its commitment to its employees on this issue. It works with employees to implement the strategy. We have equality, diversity and inclusion advocates where employees volunteer to champion um, diversity and inclusion in their team. And we have regular meetings to refine and further develop our practices. So it really shows an ongoing commitment to continue to make progress in diversity and inclusion, and it engages everyone. Yes, that's that's really interesting and hopefully maybe something that you know your organization might be willing to share more widely across the sector so that others might be able to adopt some of those practices as well it sounds like a really practical way of um you know delivering um that commitment to it to edi as well yes and that's a really important um thing uh liaising with each other to make sure that we're capturing best practices from each other and learning from each other Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, obviously, we talked very um, early on about, you know, COVID and that impact potentially on the technology side of the industry. Um, do you feel that it presents at the moment a threat or opportunity in terms of achieving a more diverse, inclusive workforce? Um, you know, we've seen obviously lots of people working from home now, um, but of course, lots of people's um, you know, um, current positions are not as secure as before. Um, so how, how can how can we sort of ensure that we still can take some positive maybe aspects from, from this impact of COVID on, on, on what's happened to people within the sector? We have the opportunity to build it back better. Um, I truly believe fair recovery is just as important as green recovery. Businesses really need to seize this moment to position themselves to prosper in the future. The COVID pandemic has really tested business leaders, you know, having to navigate through operational disruption whilst protecting their employees and develop new ways of working for the new normal. But we can't take a step back. We can't, we can't um, just pause here. We need to continue driving momentum on the progress we've already made and keep building on developing a fairer workplace. As the McKinsey reporter mentioned earlier um, on diversity wins, how inclusion matters, um, shows diversity and inclusion is a powerful enabler of business performance. And companies with leadership that welcomes diverse talents and include multiple perspectives are likely to emerge from the crisis stronger. So there is evidence that show diverse and inclusive teams make better, bolder decisions 
which are imperative in having a strong recovery. Diverse teams have shown to be better at making um, bold decisions, uh, better able to radically innovate and also anticipate shifts in consumer needs and consumption patterns. Um, and this shift that we have now uh, for, to working remotely really presents a good opportunity for companies to develop inclusive and agile working cultures. And as the sectors move forward in aerospace and aviation, as other sectors move forward in diversity and inclusion, aerospace and aviation cannot be left behind. Companies must secure their license to operate in the long term or will lose out on opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think we can see many ways that we can build upon the learning that we've we've achieved over the last few months and and use that to um as you say create much more agile working um which will benefit all employees i think right across the board and exactly you know um increase the types of people that people can recruit you know and the, there'll be less geographical mobility restrictions so um it's definitely an interesting opportunity yes and we should take advantage of that mm -hmm. that's right yeah now thank you so much for, for for what you've said today it's been absolutely fascinating um just obviously as a, a last question i know we've taken up a bit of your time but um as an innovation leader do you think that leaders in the aerospace and aviation sectors have an important role to play themselves in achieving a diverse and inclusive culture Yes, absolutely. Leaders across the aerospace and aviation sectors have an important role to play, including those in industry, government, public bodies, academia and learned societies like the Royal Aeronautical Society. We have a responsibility to our sectors to ensure that it is sustainable and competitive and we must lead by example and champion equality, diversity and inclusion in order to achieve this. I couldn't agree more and I hope that today people listening will come from right across the sector as you say bringing together you know industry leaders um, government and um, academics as well I think you're right they're really important part of this um, and, and hopefully us as professional bodies as well we can support you in that so um, thank you so much Carissa I think that's been um, you know really fascinating to hear your story um, and thank you for, for giving us a very frank account as well um, but I think I've come away really inspired um, and I'm sure lots of people listening in today will be as well both to um, join our sector but also to help be part of the change so thank you again um, and you know stay safe as well thank you thanks Roz my pleasure not at all take care thank you very much bye 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 <laughs> bye